Hey, I'm Matt Hudgens and he's Dave Mulvaney and this is Profitability MD. Dave, how you doing today, buddy? Matt, I'm doing fantastic. How about you? I am good. I thought we'd do a little bonus episode with uh, the Survey King. We had Matt Champagne on. Matt, how are you today? Doing great, guys. Thanks for the invite. Yes. Yeah, so we'll do a bonus episode where I wanted to go through the, uh, the nine principles of customer feedback. You alluded to that. That's kind of our bonus. So uh, I'd like to go through those nine principles of customer feedback. Does that sound good? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, th these are... These principles have been uh, based on my research now gathered about 96 million data points from over uh, 8,000 surveys over the past 28 years. So it's been an ongoing work of research and application and continual modification. So I can give you kind of the status of these principles as, as they apply uh, here this year. That'd be awesome. All right. So, so where, I guess, where do we start? Sir, uh, principle one. Let's first start where people can get a copy of the nine principles of customer feedback, which is at matthewchampagne.com forward slash MD. That's C-H-A-M-P-A-G-N-E, uh, just like the drink, and um, forward slash MD for our show. And so uh, while you're going through it, uh, just a, a couple minutes, I'll, I'll bring up a shared screen and, and show the uh, infographic so people can uh, get a feel for it. So... Uh, thanks for coming on again, Matt. Good to have you. And we will, uh, uh, I'm looking forward to learning this. Awesome. Well, we could start with, with principle one. And uh, by principles, what I mean is these are psychological principles that have been time and research tested, not only from my own research, but from that of my colleagues and there's three benefits that come from using these principles in how you communicate with your customers, what I call your people, your customers, clients, members, students, attendees, whoever your people are, how to use some psychology uh, with them to get three benefits. One is to uh, get the most accurate, meaningful feedback from them. And this is a mistake everybody makes. They go out, they put a survey together or they put a poll uh, together up on Facebook and they gather a little bit of feedback from their people and then they take action and it's such a mistake because it's not accurate. It, you get to hear from a very small percentage of your audience. So by using these principles, you can draw on a huge amount of people to answer your questions. So you can feel more confident that what you are looking at in terms of the results is truly accurate. So that's the first thing it does. Second is it gets huge response rates, which is what you want, of course, to get uh, accurate, meaningful results. And third is to bring in loyal uh, customers. That is people that are focused only on you. When I do a survey, I am disappointed if I get less than 80%, but I'm also disappointed if that same 80% doesn't answer my second survey and my third survey. And again and again, you can keep asking questions. People don't get survey fatigue, because you're asking the right questions in the right way, you're applying these nine principles. So awesome, I'm looking forward to that. And you know, that's amazing that you can get better than 80%. And that's, I think the part that most people just can't, I know I'm having an issue with, do people really go that far? But like you said, when you open loops and close loops, they stay with you and they're more engaged than any other type of, uh, long-term prospect or client, which I find is the most interesting about it. 
Yeah, it, it's just about changing mindsets. The same is true for a lot of, of what we do. For example, webinars. You know, people do uh, put a webinar together and they are really happy when they get 30% of the people who said they would be there to show up. They're like, wow, look at that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? If I had a party and we put everything together, we spent all the time making the food and, and the band and the music and the activities and 30% of the people who RSVP'd actually showed up, oh my gosh, you'd never throw another party, you'd be so disappointed. Yet we accept that. And it, the same is true of surveys. We accept 10%. Oh, that's what people get. And we accept such small, insignificant results when there's so much more to be uh, gained if you've just used these principles. Perfect. Well, let's go. What, uh, where do you want to start? Well, I guess start at the top with, uh, with purpose. Uh, first principle is to have a single purpose to your survey. So you want to ask your people, your members, your students, your attendees, your clients, you want to ask some questions. The mistake that is always made, especially at the corporate level, is trying to get everything in there, right? You ask everybody in every department what they want to ask people because, you know, you'll never get a chance to talk to your customers again. You want to make sure that you just dump it all into one survey. Such a mistake. You want to have a single purpose. What is the purpose? Not the purpose is, because it turns people off. If they start filling out your survey that you say, oh, this is a survey to learn how we can improve our company. And then you're asking them about their decision-making authority, how much money they make, their demographics. And people are like, uh-oh, I'm out of here. You know, you, you said it was for this purpose and it's not. You're trying to ask way too many questions in way too many areas. So I always call it the survey conversation. In, the, in my first time I speak to you, the purpose is this. I am going to just ask, what's a challenge that you have in your business? And so I ask one question, maybe two, and then people respond, and then I share. We'll talk about principle five, closing the loop, but then I can ask another question because the next set of questions has another single purpose. So bite-sized surveys, couple of questions. You don't need to ask everything in one ask. And I think that's the same, not just in surveys. I think so many people uh, try to serve like mega audiences instead of narrowing it down. We serve, we do, we have one purpose and growing your business on one purpose for one period of time, one marketing message and follow that for a period of time. Sure. You're going to leave some to the wayside, but your website, your landing pages, you should have one purpose of that and that alone. And so I see the, I guess you'd say the similarities there between a website um, or a survey it should be one purpose. Yeah, that, that's so true. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but yeah, having focus is so important in, in all aspects of life. And it's true about your surveys as well. Focus in on what's the one thing uh, to ask but that's not the mindset. The mindset is, well, we only do the annual survey. You know, we only do the one-time survey. So people feel like they have to say it all, just like they do with their websites. I got to tell everybody about everything that I ever do on the first page because it's all so important. No, get them to focus. I just did this with DirecTV. I got to the third question and then it said, now go to page two. And then it showed a status bar and I was like at 10%. I'm like, screw you guys. I was out. I'm out. You're a terrible survey taker, Dave. I'm awful. I'm not the survey guy. All right. Step two. 
Well, number two is, is the content, asking the right questions in the right way. And it's such a deep topic that I actually wrote an entire book on it uh, in 2014. There's a book called The Survey Playbook. And at that time, I just wrote the 25 biggest errors that everybody makes with their surveys. And I could certainly do a volume two today, but at that time, I just took what to me had been my experience, the 25 mistakes that everybody makes with their surveys, and I turned them into lessons uh, to show people the correct way to ask the right questions in the right way. And again, keeping the outcomes in mind. You're doing this so you get more responses, more accurate results, and you engage your people. You get them to want to respond again. That was the 25 lessons. So a lot to be said there, enough to fill uh, at least a, a volume two of the survey playbook. Well, it's, it's funny. We, I guess we kind of hit on that during, during our last conversation because you talked about um, what's a challenge you have in, a, in your business as opposed to what's the one challenge. Remember, I think we talked about that during our call last time. So you don't say what's the challenge because you might actually stump them. Gosh, I don't, I don't just have one. I have a couple. Whereas you structured it and said, what is a challenge you have? That's kind of what you're talking about, right? Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. I think people should just tune into that episode because we did mention uh, uh, a couple of excerpts from the book um, that they should apply to their own surveys for sure. So I'm going to go back to split screen. So, okay. all right, what uh, was our third? Uh, well, the third one is timing and frequency, which is principle two is asking the right questions in the right way, but principle right. three is asking at the right time and the right amount of times. And again, this is just a mistake that's continually made is uh, we never ask until the event is over. That's tradition, right? You ask for people for feedback when their vacation's over, when their meal's over, when the course is over, when the conference is over. We call that the autopsy approach. You wait to the end of the event to figure out what went wrong. And that wasn't acceptable in the 1990s when I started. It's certainly not acceptable now. You need to ask when it matters to the person filling it out. Why would I bother filling out your survey? Well, because it's gonna help me right now. By asking me now while the event is going on, during the conference, right after the talk, before the next talk, while the course is going on, that's the time to ask me, well, how is this landing for you? And, and is there any questions we didn't get a chance to, to answer yet? And, and what do you want tomorrow? What, what are you still lacking? then people will fill it out because they're like, oh, well, if I answer you now, you're gonna fix it for me and, and give me what I want. Who's gonna answer a survey after your, you know, your trip is over? How, how does that help you? It doesn't, it may help some future customer. <laughs> so we're relying on our, our people to, out of the goodness of their heart to take their time that they will never get back here on planet Earth to answer questions that won't help them in any way that will hopefully help somebody in the future. It's just a huge ask and people right. are just sick of it. Right. And that's kind of like, what's in it for me, right? So what's in it for me? You're actually going to improve my experience right here because you're asking me for feedback during which you'll make adjustments during the conference or during the vacation. I like that. Exactly. Yeah. What's in it for me? That's probably the best way to, to summarize that. And then the frequency side, of course, is just that survey conversation. That's how I always look at this. It's never a one-time ask. It's a conversation between you and your audience. And so you ask a question and they respond. You can ask a second question. You don't have to just spit it all out at once. It's an ongoing conversation. 
one of the things that I think um, right now, why, why I'm so intrigued by this is because I think so many of the big name speakers in this day and age don't understand that their, I guess you'd say their days are numbered um, in such a way that the audience now, it's such an interactive business that there are so many speakers that are like, I'm putting on the best event. I don't need to hear from the audience while the event is going on. We do it this way. And if they don't like it, it's not the, the generation that's up and coming. We're talking about, they, they have video games where like when we played a video game, it was all programmed. They have video games that they're interacting with people all around the world. Live interaction today is what the next generation right behind us is coming up with live interaction. And I believe if you don't, um, have, if you have a stage, whether that's webinar, whether that's live, it doesn't matter what your stage is. If you're on a stage and you're not interacting with your audience two ways, meaning they're talking to you and you're talking to them and answering their questions, I think you're going to be an archaic speaker and rarely be able to draw an audience in the future. That's my opinion, but I think that's where the industry is going. Yeah, and yeah, and it's it's been building, but as you said, with social media, with just in the last few years, this has really just accelerated. That is, it's just so unacceptable. If I, if you looked at it in your time capsule and looked at the surveys, the way that we asked them in the 1990s when I started, in fact, you don't even need a time capsule. You probably just go to my file drawer because I never throw anything away. But if I pulled those out, it would say exactly what you, the, the instructions on those surveys will say, hey, please take 10 minutes of your time to help us improve our products and services. It hasn't changed. It's like we're in this like, fixed warp that we do exactly what we did 25 and 30 years ago in our surveys. Yeah, the ent entire world has changed in 30 years, but the way we ask our customers has not. And it's, it's yeah, you're right. People that do not change and keep the 30-year-old method are, are falling behind. We'll be left behind. Well, not, we won't be. So That's what's right. the next step to not be left behind? Uh, well, the fourth principle is uh, participation, ownership, and this is mostly relevant for larger uh, companies where you have lots of stakeholders. So um, it's essentially the notion of, you know, I call it the too many cooks syndrome. This happens all the time. And we touched on it a little bit, having everyone in your department contributing uh, questions. Um, but it, you really want to know who is going to contribute the questions, what's the reason that they need these questions. Uh, so I, I set up what I call the stakeholder matrix. It just kind of goes through and says, here's all the parties involved and here's the information they need to act on and here's why they need it. So with a larger uh, clients, I set up this whole matrix and then it becomes clear which questions to ask and which ones to discard. And it's really a great exercise when you look at the survey and then you look at the needs of the people it's a total mismatch. And then you go, ah, I guess we don't need to ask that question now. We could ask that question later, for example. Perfect. Yeah. Principle five is closing the loop. That's probably the biggest, one of my favorite ones, because it is totally neglected, which I'm amazed because that was one of the original principles <laughs> back in the 90s. And back then it was amazing that nobody did it. But it's, you know, to Dave's point, it's social media works because of this principle. This is the psychology behind it. 
why do why did social media go from no users to its invention and suddenly three billion people on the planet are using it it's because all the psychology is there people know that their voice was heard they know they made a difference they can comment on other people's stuff they get immediate feedback they get likes and shares that's what we want. We want to know that our voice was heard, that we're being heard, that we're making a difference, how we compare to others. Yet that is totally 100% absent from our surveys. You fill out the survey, you submit it, and then you're done. Does anyone ever call you up and say, hey, Matt, hey, Dave, thanks for responding to that survey. Because of what you said, we're going to make this change in our business. That, that was really important. Thank you so much for contributing. Right. I guess like my favorite part that we got was closing the loop and because I'm guilty of it as well. It's just acknowledging, hey, thanks for the feedback. Here are the adjustments we made. It actually, like you said, acknowledges their worth and their value and their input. So it probably encourages them to participate in your uh, survey next time. Yeah. And, and always on the uh, on social media. If you're, if you're trying to build a YouTube channel or whatever it is, Part of closing the loop is somebody comments on your, like on your blog, on whatever it is. If you want to retain people, right? What do you do? You comment back, hey, thanks for your comment, right? That's closing that loop so that you make a connection. I mean, that's how you connect. Isn't that what all, really all true media is about is you gotta connect on a psychological level. You brought up psychology. If you connect on a psychological level, now people feel, wow, this person actually does care. Actually does care. That's a very important word. Um, not just surface care, right? Yeah. So, you know, why, why is it just, it drives me crazy. Like what if social media was like surveys? Like you, <laughs> some, you know, somebody posts something and then they commented, but nobody ever gets to see the comment and well, you're done. Like, that would be the end of social media because th there's no reaction. And that's why it's the end of surveys because it's a totally one way process. But by using principle five, closing the loop, you share some of the results back to the people. You tell them ahead of time, if you'll take a couple of minutes to answer this question, I will share what I heard back with you. I'll, I'll give you, here are the top five answers given. Or if I asked you about challenges to your business, like we talked about in the last episode, I'm gonna share with you the top 10 challenges given by other people that are just like you. Isn't that interesting? That's yeah, how you get right. massive response rate. People are like, wow, what's in it for me is I'm gonna learn what other people like me think about this and that could help me. And you do that with any time you ask a question, you always, using the, the principles, you always share just a little bit of the nuggets of results back with them to demonstrate that their voice was heard and to show them how they compare to others. Good advice. All right, next step. Principle six, uh, internal incentive. So it's basically that question of what makes people wanna fill it out. And of course, to me, the biggest incentive is just that, the internal incentives. By that, I mean getting some results. Uh, and this comes from data I did back in, uh, I think the first survey I did on this was in 1999, where I asked uh, executives who are responsible for doing surveys, I asked them, what's the best way to get people to respond to your unsolicited surveys? And what's the worst? The worst, by far, was the lottery. 
hey, fill out my survey and I'll enter your name in a drawing to win something. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. 20 years ago, that was the worst method. Guess what, the next year <laughs> when I asked that question, the lottery, the worst. The year after, the lottery. Every single year, people have said that's worse. Yet, what do we see at our inboxes? Hey, fill out this survey and I'll enter you in a drawing to win you know, an iTunes card or some. That's you know, exactly right. $20 Starbucks card, whatever. Yes. Exactly. And it's just, not, I'm like, are you serious? How, why would you do that? Here, take your time that you will never get back here on planet Earth to help me. And then I'm going to, you have some unknown but astronomically small chance of winning something. Right, like, right. What, what, what's in it for me? Nothing. Why would you do that? Uh, second worst was just any financial incentive. So a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, just ask people, you know, you give everybody that responds, they get a gift certificate or, or some money. That is such a huge waste of money. And I've been telling this to organizations for years who think, well, that's what it's about. Well, it's not what it's about because then the transaction's over. My job is to get your, keep your customers forever, get them to respond to you time and time again. If you've turned it into a transaction, hey, you answer my questions and I give you five bucks, then you're done because they've just satisfied it. Use internal incentives, you answer my questions, I'll share the results with you, which guess what? Now gives me the right to ask you another question and they will answer. That's what the research shows over and over again. You get people to answer again and again and again for months. No money involved. That's the way to go. Everyone wants to be heard. I think that's the, uh, um, the principle there. If you answer, you know, if they answer and you give them the feedback, they're being heard. And that's what everybody wants. Recognition. Yep. Right? I mean, uh, what do they say? Uh, um, Babies long for it, grown men die for it. I mean, that's what recognition is what people want. They want to be heard. They want to be recognized. Yeah. And that's why it's based in, you know, I keep saying about the psychology, but that's the science behind this is it's acting on those principles, not what we know doesn't work like lotteries and uh, financial incentives. I like that. Okay. How about number seven, Matt? Seven. Uh, here's another thing that Everybody overlooks, I rarely ever see anyone do this well. It's uh, training your people to respond with good feedback. And it's easy thing to think of, right? Some people are good at giving feedback and some aren't. And we know this, you look at any review site, go on Amazon or uh, TripAdvisor, you go on TripAdvisor and you're looking for a hotel and you look through the reviews and somebody just rants about like how badly they were treated by the manager. And we discount that. We're like, well, that's not very good feedback. Then we see somebody else who gave four stars and they commented about the, the parking and the security and the lighting in the lobby and the food and the comfort of the pillow. And you're like, that's a great review. And then you take that into account. So we know some people are really bad at giving feedback and some are good. So the solution is training your people. It's, it's not really formal training, it's just some guidance so the principle says in order to get people to give you deep, meaningful, honest feedback, you have to give them some guidance. How do you want them to answer the question? So I have a technique for this uh, called the who, what, where, when method, but it's essentially within the question itself, telling them how you want to respond. For example, you know, tell us uh, one uh, thing that we should improve about this aspect of our business. You get them, again, it's the focus. You're getting them to focus 
on, I want to know about this. You never, ever, ever want to say something that you see on most every survey, which is any additional comments? You know, do you have any more comments? That is not only a waste of time, but that could harm you. And I talk about that in the survey playbook when people give irrelevant responses to it, you actually set yourself up for a big fall. You want to get them to focus on exactly what, don't ever ask, hey, any additional comments? Say, hey, do you have any comments about this aspect of the service or this about my course or you're in my membership, how could we do this part better? Get them to focus and you'll get some really robust, deep, honest feedback that you can take action on. I think all of us have attended events where the speaker, at the end of their speaking, they've got 10 minutes left and they say, any questions? Like, the, if you ask me, that's the dumbest question any speaker could ever ask. Are there any questions? Because it's such an open-ended thing. How many times has some person stood up and, like, didn't ask a question, but they gave a 20-minute statement um, about nothing to do with anything? And there was no question there. Is it, would you agree that that's the wrong way to ask that? Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it in terms of that, but that's exactly the same. That question comes up from the speaker and half the room groans because they're like, Oh, boy. they start packing up their stuff. Cause like, uh Oh, we're in for a ride. Somebody's going to get up, monopolize the, the microphone. But if they would use that time wisely and say, so does anybody have any questions about this aspect or, you know, get them to focus on something that maybe the speaker wanted to share anyway, that nobody asked the question. So you're kind of guiding them to that. It's so much more helpful for the host and the audience. Or if we pause for a second, if somebody was running an event and they hired you, what would likely happen at that moment in time would be, okay, so based upon your questions that you asked at lunchtime, I'm gonna answer some of these. And now you're closing the loop for some of the people in the audience. Instead of opening it up, that the questions were opened up at lunchtime, right? Am I right? You would run an event, and you would be in the background, getting these questions answered through um, through Facebook or or different methods. Um, and I know you're coming out with an app in the future, but we'll we'll mention that another time. But uh, that being said, you would be you present the speaker with the answers to those, and the speaker could then answer questions from the stage that only the ones that pertain to the audience. Would that be a good assessment? Yeah, that, that's, that's spot on. And look how many of the principles that involves. You're asking a specific question, principle two, the right content, for a specific purpose at the specific time of your audience. And you're guiding them how to ask it. For example, you know, what, what question hasn't been what question do you is really burning that you need to get answered before you leave this event that hasn't been addressed wow you've really guided them exactly to it then you're sharing that with the host and the host can stand on the stage and say oh okay i i have your what you said uh, after lunch so let me go right let me go through these questions right now i'm going to knock all these off everyone in that audience is thinking you're the greatest speaker ever because you've just now satisfied they just they just said this is what i need to know before i leave here and then the host is able to address that you're closing the loop you're showing them that their voice was heard if you don't know the answer you can certainly point to the audience and say well somebody asked a question about this topic 
I don't know much about. Is anybody here know this? And hands go up. Oh, you guys are experts on this? Okay. Hey, uh, whoever asked this question, here, talk to her and her. And right, right. Karina. now you look like a hero. Yeah, now you're just the moderator, a networker. I like that. Matt is really good at that. Matt, Matt, Matt Hutchins, he, he, oh, I don't know that, but I know so-and-so. Matt, Matt always says, I know a guy. And when you, guy. Live from the, a guy. You, you do that live from the stage, you, you're technically saying, I know Susie over here. She just raised her hand, and she'll take you through that. That's awesome. That's good advice. So, yep, so that's next step. Next step, principle eight, actionable reporting. Um, this, you know, this goes back to the long ago where I would have people imagine that you're walking down a hallway with all your results. So you just did a, a big survey, you've asked your audience, and now you need to share the results with the people that can take action on it. So we used to do, uh, we start out doing surveys in universities. So there would be deans and chairs and department heads and provosts, you know, there's all this hierarchy. Well, if you were walking around with the results and you got to their door, what would you hand them? You certainly wouldn't hand them the whole stack and say, hey, like, here's everything. You would hand to the person what they needed. If it's the high level executive, maybe they just need, you know, the high level report. Here's just the bullet points. And if you hand it to somebody else, they might want just the raw data so they could analyze it. And and somebody else might just need to see, well, what are the top 10 things to do? And then somebody else might need to know uh, specific comments that they could act on. So you always want to think about that when you're asking questions, especially if you're in a, a larger company uh, or there's uh, multiple stakeholders involved, is getting the right results to the right person because the whole key is this quick turnaround giving them actionable results and so many of our survey tools fail at this because they're just dumb tools they the data comes in and then it spits out pie charts and graphs and and you can download spreadsheets but who can use all that you need to make sure that you're giving the right people the right data so they can quickly act and, and do what they do best that makes total sense, right, exactly right. So now you create an actionable, like you said, action items from the surveys. Yeah, because the whole key is you're only do, you're doing this multiple times. It's not like uh, one of the co-founders of, of my original company has worked for the, the government for, for years and they do an annual survey and that's all they do because the whole year is spent ramping up to the survey and then they do the survey and then when the results come in, it's months and months of, oh, pie charts and bar graphs and interactive sliders on screens. And they do presentations on it to everybody in the organization. And then everyone's like, hmm, that was great. Okay, time for next year's survey. Right, right. No That's a perfect bureaucracy. That's perfect. Yeah. Take, it, take a bunch of surveys, make a bunch of charts and do nothing about it. <laughs> so it's that's what's not to do so we take right, the opposite right. approach is we need to act quickly because we're closing the loop we're sharing results we're doing multiple surveys we're having conversations uh you don't want to get bogged down in the data just make sure that the right people get just the key information they need to act that's good and, and then the final step man man Final step is the delivery. And uh, this has actually been modified significantly in the last year alone. Uh, when this principle was created, the delivery mode was paper 
or web. <laughs> that was that was the delivery mode. Should we do this on paper or uh, over this new thing called the World Wide Web? Uh, but I even remember the date. It we were doing surveys, uh, you know, by the thousands. And I remember August 2006. It, uh, FedEx was our biggest client at the time, and a response came in on a BlackBerry, and I'm like, what? What? Who would use a black like? You know, it shows what a visionary I am. Who's ever going to use these phones, you know, to, to fill out surveys? That's crazy. Uh, but we monitored that. And over the next 18 months, we collected uh, somewhere around 500, 550,000 responses. And I put together a paper. It was the first of its kind looking at all these key ma uh, metrics when people filled out surveys on their computer versus their phone versus these new things called tablets. Um, and... But now we have to add to it, of course, people filling this out through uh, Messenger on Alexa, doing voice-based surveys, which we're doing uh, uh, some of that now in the past year. Uh, Google Home, you can, you know, voice-activated uh, surveys. So this is all has to do with the delivery mode. How do you want to gather responses for your people? What's most effective? What gets the highest response rate? What gets the most deepest quality of comment. So it's an issue of how do I ask this question in a way that will give me the best data. And there are true differences between all these types of advice, uh, devices as well as through voice and uh, text and chat as well. So that's kind of interesting. So it might be that, uh, uh, well, you want to make it easy, basically. You're just trying to make it as easy as you can for people to respond to your survey. Yep. And, and there are, are big differences. The paper I did, you know, some years ago between phones and tablets and computers, there were differences in how many people dropped out of the survey, which is something nobody ever looks at because they rarely look at that oh, metric. Somebody right. started your survey, but didn't finish. Well, probably people don't know that a typical survey done on the web gets about between 50 and 70% drop out. During, and, yeah, they're halfway through. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a, a typical survey. If it's a bad survey, you're looking more at up to 90% are starting it but never finishing it. So I want to get at least 85% of the people who fill out a survey to continue. And there's a huge difference in the mode that you use, whether it's voice or chat, tablets, phones, or a computer. Well, even I was just thinking, so I was doing a survey on my phone the other day and here's silly, but made it convenient and automatically moved to the next question. Like I didn't have to press next. It was like I multiple choice, I fill in the button and then it would go to the next question automatically. So I wasn't always pressing next, waiting for the screen to refresh, yada, yada, yada. So it made it easier for me to, you know, fly through that survey. Yeah. And it's becoming, of course, more and more of an issue that everything's so convenient. It's a different world, a different type of <laughs> individuals, but so many companies still use the old method. Like Dave was saying, you know, I filled out questions and then I hit the next button and then it says you're 3% of the way through. Right, right. And so many people make these surveys so difficult. It's like an obstacle course, you know. I, I dare you to get through my survey, you know, because I'm asking complex questions and I'm mixing it up with easy questions and some answers you have to go look up somewhere and some are very personal and I'm trying to consider whether I want to share this information. It's an absolute obstacle course. And so it's no wonder they get 80, 90% or more people to drop out 
and it shows in their results. But they still get results, which they act on, and that's the biggest mistake at all because you're acting on a very unusual sample. People that would <laughs> solve your obstacle course, well, it's gonna be who? The people who are really mad at you. Right, right. And they're gonna get through this and they're gonna submit it because somebody's gonna hear how angry they are or the people who are delighted with your service, which are totally not representative of your typical customer who has left. Right, and then, so it, your overall message here, we, you follow these nine principles to create a very a good and accurate actionable survey that is, I'm also hearing you saying smaller is better. Hey, let's get a, a small survey that's, that's very direct, we close the loop. I love the close the loop. That's like my favorite part. And then we can add, go have another survey for the next question, right? It's almost like I hear from you is it'd be better to have a bunch of small surveys than a giant comprehensive one because you'll lose a bunch of people. Absolutely. And, and the benefits you get from it and people wonder why I'm so like infatuated with surveys and because they are as a psychologist, which I am, I know that the survey is our only and best tool to get inside someone's heads to know what they need and want, expect. And you have to ask it in the right way at the right time, giving them the correct rewards uh, to do that. And when you do it, when you see this infographic that you guys are making available to your audience, you'll see the benefits and it looks kind of outrageous. I, I claim that you're gonna get unprecedented response rates and you're gonna get deep, meaningful insights and you're going to save tons of money and tons of time, and you're gonna keep your customers forever. Like, wow, all that from a survey? Yes, because, and now is the time to do it because surveys are loathed because we've done them so poorly for so many years. If you actually went out and asked a critical question of your audience who wants to help you, they wanna help you, they're, they're waiting to, to help, and you ask the right question right when it helps them and you share the results with them, they're yours. They are not going anywhere. And you can ask them questions from now till, you know, a year from Tuesday and they will keep answering and keep answering, keep helping your company grow because they want, they're like, wow, at last I found somebody who listened to me, who heard my vote, who didn't just say in the instructions, hey, you know, this will help us improve our products and services, or thank you for making us better. They demonstrated it over and over and over again. Those people are going nowhere, they're yours. So that turns into a survey, turns into its clients marketing that we, our I'm customer, breaking um, breaking up again. Um, that you listen to your customers, here we go, that you listen to your clients. So you can use it as a differentiator is what I'm saying. So a survey can be used as a differentiator, as a marketing piece, as a client retention tool all at once. That's, that's right. And I've been saying this for years and people are always, you know, you talk to business gurus and they're like, no, you need to focus on one area. And I said, to me, surveys, improves business. Like, I don't know how else to say it because asking the right questions in the right way brings in audience, keeps them, have high retention, they're engaged, focus on you, they're helping your business, you're learning so much from them, they're telling you what products to build next, what services they would pay for, and they're doing it gladly because you're doing something nobody else does. You're truly listening to them and showing them how they compare to others. That's such a powerful force to know, well, how do I stand on this issue? 
and you're sharing that with them all the time. So again, it's the psychology behind it. There's no magic here. It's just you're tapping into the deep psychological needs that we all have, and you're, but you happen to be doing it through survey. Perfect. I I think that's awesome. Well, we're on a, we're over our time. So where can we find you, Matt Champagne? Well, I guess the best place to start is, um, as you said, matthewchampagne.com slash MD for Matt and David. And we'll have the infographic there. Uh, but you can just go to my website, matthewchampagne.com, and all the stuff is there, podcast episodes and, and more information about the nine uh, principles as well. Perfect. That's awesome. That's awesome. Matt Hutchings, where can we find you? Uh, LinkedIn's always good. Matt Hudgens, LinkedIn. And then uh, 10xprofitblueprint.com is my coaching website. How about you, Mr. Mulvaney? You find me at davidmulvaney.com. You'll find our um, show at profitabilitymd.com. If it's not up today, it will be up probably by the time you are watching this show. Perfect. Right, Matt, Matt, thanks, thanks for, for joining on, us at the end. This is a bonus, and we're so thankful you took us through the nine steps. Awesome. You're welcome, guys. We'll see you soon. Right. See you.